Let's pray together. Father, we come before you this Lord's Day and we come with confidence before the throne of grace. We have prayed already many times this morning. We prayed with I need thee every hour. We prayed with the Christian's daily prayer. And so we continue to pray now. And we say without shame, without um, fear, without um, any hesitancy that we need you. And we glory in the truth that we have a Savior. And because we have a Savior, we come and pray to you, the living God, through Christ, by your Spirit. And so we thank you, Father, that in your mercy and your plans and purposes, that you would not leave us to ourselves, but in your grace, you would send your Son to save us. Upon Christ, you have set your seal. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And so may you move our hearts and our lives, our families, and all we are to live in accord with this truth. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And so help us, Lord, regardless of our age, whether we're young or old, or somewhere in between, we need you now, every day, every hour. And so we pray and we mean this, and I pray we would mean this, every one of us here this morning, that you would search us. We ask that you would search us, that you would examine us, that you would examine our hidden thoughts and expose anything, any sin, any idol, anywhere in our lives that we are not like Christ how many areas there are like that. <laughs> and so give us grace, Lord, this morning. And we pray that you give grace to the sick. We pray that you would give grace to the hurting. We pray that you would great give grace to the suffering. And we thank you for your merciful answers as you have so continually done and you continually do, even with someone who we don't know and we're detached from who we've heard of on the news and so on, Damar, Hamlin, and how you answered prayer with him. And so we thank you. We pray you'd be with us. We pray you'd lead us under your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you would, go ahead and turn with me in your Bibles to the letter of James, to James chapter 5, and we'll be in James chapter 5, verses 13 through 15 this morning. Of course, as you know, it's a new year, 2023, a new chapter in the annuals of history, 
Now, you already know all that. But what you and I don't know is what lies ahead. We really have no idea what will happen <laughs> in the next hours even, next days, and so on. I mean, what will this year, this new year, what will it be like? And obviously, as I just said, I have no answers for you <laughs> on that, in that way or in that regard. But what I can say with a good deal of confidence is that whatever this year may hold, it will have ups, it will have downs, it will have joys, and it will have sadnesses. Now, how do I know that? Well, it's not because I can predict the future or anything like that, but because every year is like that, and every year since Genesis chapter 3, since the fall, has been like that. And so it's perhaps no surprise then why our text this morning is important to hear today, right now. It is a new year. And how good it was, right, to begin the year last Lord's Day, the first Lord's Day of 2023, reflecting on Psalm 63. And you'll remember the opening words of that psalm when it said, Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. As in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Amen. Well, this morning James does something of the same thing. Here in our verses, and what is that? Well, he points you and me and all of us to our primary need in the midst of all those, in the midst of the ups, in the midst of the downs, in the midst of the joys, in the midst of the sadnesses, and whatever may be coming in this year ahead. And how does he do that? Well, he does that by pointing us to God, who is our need. And so to see this, let's read these words here in James then, beginning verse 13. So may the Lord sanctify his people with spirit-inspired word. Verse 13, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is any, anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. As James begins to bring his letter to a close here, what we have here, or what 
we have is what seems to be kind of this hodgepodge of exhortations, right? I mean, where is all this coming from? Yet, if we've learned anything from the book of James as we've walked through it over these months and so on, we know, we've learned that he has a rhyme and reason behind what he writes, and even the order that he writes it. And so if you just look just before these verses, you'll remember the context was just this, of what he's discussing here in our verses this morning, this context of suffering, of trials, and even of these moral difficulties. So you just look up in your Bible there in verses 7 through 12, and you'll see that, that context. And so we do see that. And as we see that, we need to see more than that as well. So remember the opening words of this book. The ones that, you know, Tyler read a moment ago. And there's a great deal of similarity between what James wrote there in chapter 1, in those opening verses, and what he's writing here right now. And what did he say there in James 1? What do we see? You know, trials. We saw God's purposes. Even in the thick of trials, we see their joy. Count it all joy, my brothers. When you meet trials of various kinds. We see prayer. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask God. We see even... The call to not doubt, a prayer of doubt, that you're not to do that, not to ask in doubt, but you're to pray in faith. And we see all these things here in our verses this morning. And so we see what he's doing. And so it is that he gives then first an exhortation for the suffering. An exhortation for the suffering. So in the new year, you might be wondering, will I face suffering? Will I face trials? Will I face difficulties? Well, I don't think it's too bold to answer, yeah, you will. And it might not be something grand. You know, we... We often think like, well, it might be like something like Job experience. Well, it may be that, and I pray that it would not be that for you. But oftentimes it's not. It might even simply be something like an angst, an abiding kind of struggle with sin and with self. Or it might be temptation to do something. To swerve away from God in some way. It might be loneliness even. I mean, how many of us struggle regularly with loneliness? And we might be around tons of people. Or it might be something else entirely. It might not even be your suffering that you're going to face this year, which I kind of think you will in some way face some sort of suffering, but it may not be your suffering. It may be someone else's suffering. Someone in the body of Christ 
a family member or something else. And so we as brothers and sisters in Christ, we then come along and say, I am here to come and suffer with you. To bear these burdens alongside you. You are not alone. Because we are part of a kingdom that is greater than this world. Even stronger than blood in this world. Like our family ties even. And so you may see that. And so for a world of sufferers, especially as believers, James asks here a simple question Is anyone among you suffering? A simple, practical question with a simple, practical answer. And what is his answer? Let him pray. Now, as you hear that, I'm just curious, you know, what kind of images or feelings come to your mind and to your heart as he exhorts you to prayer. I know I challenge you in this way and in other sermons, but we need to be aware of these things. And when you hear that word prayer, what rises up in you? I mean, are you when you think of prayer, are you like thinking of paint drying? You know, like, you know, that's not something I want to do. It's just tedious, it's boring, it's it's nothing. For me, I mean, that's, that's not something I like, not something I really want to do at all. Or maybe, and I am talking about feelings here, not just your thoughts, because the thoughts will probably, if you've been in church for long enough, will be like, oh yeah, I need to be praying. <laughs> I mean, you're going to have all those biblical, right biblical things going on in your head, but what's going on in your heart? And so as you hear that word prayer, maybe you think of a gavel, you know? Someone, like, you go to pray and all you can think of is that God is standing over you in judgment. And so there is this kind of dread that you have when you pray. Or it could be even that you, when you pray, you think of yourself. And I think this is very common today. What I mean is, is you go to pray, not, not because of God. You go and pray so you can have certain feelings and emotions, experiences. And if you don't, well, then I, it just wasn't a good time. <laughs> it's like paint drying. Well, what kind of prayer was that about? It was about you. But what about this one? When you think of prayer... Do you think of God? I know it's simple. But do you think of God? Well, this is what prayer is after. It's after God. Not praying to yourself. When we're praying in this service, or as you pray at home, you're not praying to the walls. That is not what's going on. It's not that you're, you're praying as though someone's standing over you with crossed arms like this. And you may feel that way, right? As you're praying. You again. 
really? <laughs> you are such a failure. Is that how we're to see it? Well, no. It's none of those things. You are praying to the infinite, perfect, holy, just, good, gracious, kind, loving, true, and triune God of the universe. And if you know Christ, you know God. And He loves you. And He loves you dearly. And you are His dear child. So don't be going and picturing this. What He sees when He sees you is Christ and His righteousness every single time. There's no this for you anymore, believer. There's only grace and confidence to draw near to the throne of grace. Not because of you, but because of Christ. That's what you're to think of. And see what God is doing in prayer. See what he's doing as you seek him earnestly. As, your, as Psalm 63, as your flesh faints, not for more of you, but for more of God. See what he's doing in prayer. God is orienting your thoughts and your affections and your life towards him and everything. And see that what James is giving here, this is not a slight exhortation here. In the midst of suffering, it's not pondering nor fixing your thoughts and your affections and the direction of your life upon yourself, upon your circumstances, upon your feelings. It's calling for you to ponder and to fix all you are upon God and faith in him. That's why you don't have a reason to doubt, by the way. It's not because of you. You have great reason to doubt if it's up to you. Man, I have great reason to doubt even being up here preaching. (laughs) But if it's up to God, oh Lord, what great things you do and can do. Things I can never do. So I have no reason to doubt. But to pray even as James says later here with a prayer of faith. And so we are to do. And so it's calling you to ponder and fix all you are upon God. And this is why, or part of why, you know, prayer is like oxygen for us as believers. When we cease breathing it in as followers of Jesus Christ, all of those things, you know, the circumstances, you know, your feelings, whatever they may be, your life, your, the trials you're experiencing, the sufferings you're going through, just, wow, they can become so incredibly massive and weighty. Now, why is that? 
because they're too big for you. But they're not too big for God. Ever. And so here, the simple exhortation that James gives for you in the midst of suffering, as you're considering the year ahead, whatever may come, hear the simple call for you to pray. To pray. Yet even as you hear that, you'll likely face something I've kind of alluded to or already mentioned in some ways, but you'll find you might face something that's unexpected or even a a shocking challenge or maybe not so shocking. But you may face this. You don't want to pray. (laughs) You don't want to pray. (laughs) So, You know, it's ironic, isn't it? We need God, and yet our flesh fights against us again and again and again. Why? Because prayer is contrary to the flesh. It's contrary to the old self. And also because prayer, it's not all about you. It's about God. And so you're going to encounter that. And yet as you do, as you hear this exhortation to pray, keep going. Pray anyway, even when you don't desire to pray, which I find ironic as well that there is in praying when you don't desire to pray, there is a desire to pray, right? Otherwise you wouldn't be praying. So you pray. And as you hear this exhortation to prayer, don't just limit it to suffering here. Remember Paul's three words from... First Thessalonians. I mean, how powerful those words are. Just three. Pray without ceasing. <laughs> so good. And as Charles Spurgeon said, prayer can never be in excess. So pray. Pray lavishly. Pray during the day. Pray at night. Pray during a specific time of the day. Pray throughout the day. Pray all the time. Pray anytime. Pray anywhere. And pray to the God who in Christ hears you. And pray to Him lavishly. Because He is your God. And you know Him. So pray. Seek God, not yourself Seek him. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Now this next exhortation, it's like his first in that it's one that seems obvious and simple, yet as we look at it, or at least look out over our lives, we'll find that this is something that is sorely lacking. And you'll know what I mean in just a minute. And so here's the exhortation. The second one, it's an exhortation for the glad. An exhortation for the glad. So he asks, is anyone cheerful? Now when we're glad, it's then 
that we so often don't think of what? God. <laughs> we don't think of God. Why is that? That when all is well, I mean, shouldn't that just cause our souls to just abound with rejoicing, right? Oh, God, you did it again. <laughs> this joy in my heart. It's so often we don't. And why don't we do that? Well, because, honestly, I think that we think that we're just good. We're just fine. I mean, you have your home, you have your job, you, you're warm, you're, you're well-fed, you're surrounded by good friends, you're surrounded by stuff, and we begin believing a lie. The lie that, you know, maybe God's not involved with all that good stuff we're getting or facing or experiencing and the joys that we have. Or even simply the lie that we think that we don't need God. As James has shown us, and he has emphasized again and again and again, every sphere of our lives is to be lived out of genuine faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Every single aspect of your life is to be lived out to the glory of God. Now what does that mean? It means our lives are to be God-centered, Christ-centered from A to Z. And I would just set this before you. I know we've already passed... New Year, you know, New Year and celebrating all that. And your resolutions. Maybe you already have all of them. You have them all listed. Or maybe you don't have any. But what if we made that our New Year's resolution? I resolve to let Christ be the delight of my soul. And not just this year, but every year. We often fail to see that when we're cheerful or glad and joy abounds, that behind all that is God. Remember what James said in chapter 1. You see here how James is bringing all this back to the fore. He said there in James 1.17, Every good and every perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. So even then, in your gladness, see that those glad thoughts, those glad affections, and that your glad life are reasons to give glory to God. Even then, you see how there's no sphere in your life where James is not saying you need to praise him, glorify him, live for him, live in view of faith in Christ. Of course, we just had a time of celebrating. Yeah, New Year's, but 
the time of celebrating the Lord's birth, right? Let me ask you, did you, at that time, did you experience joy? Did you experience gladness? Did you experience, as they say, good cheer? Did you smile? Did you laugh? And did you enjoy the gifts that you were given? Well, what should you do? Sing praise. Glorify God. He was behind that. Praise Him. Or have you perhaps started you know, a new Bible reading plan and maybe you're having some glad and godly thoughts. And so lately you've been having these as you've read God's Word and been reflecting on the Gospel. Well, what should you do? Right then and there, whether you're at home or anywhere, why don't you just sing a hymn of praise to God? Sing praise. He's behind that. See His kindness and His care for you right there also. And see in all this, God-word, God-centered, Christ-exalting nature of all of these things. So in 2023... Give him the glory as you rejoice, as you are glad, as perhaps if the Lord grants it that you, your joy just abounds and perhaps even overflows at that moment right here. Then you would say, is anyone, uh, anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. The first question of the Westminster Catechism is what is the chief end of man? Many of you know what the answer is. You probably read it yourself or heard it. But the answer is simple but good. To glorify God. So what is the chief end of man? To glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. That is what you were made for. So get in your mind this kind of dreary Christianity. It's just boring. No joy. God is the one who created joy. He's the one who created laughter. He's the one who created fun. So... Enjoy him to the brink. Enjoy him to the full. So in other words, James is calling for you and me to worship God. (laughs) To worship God. He's calling for you to live a life of worship. Imagine it. Your life displaying God in the gospel, and what God has done in Christ in you. And you just rising up. All these things may be going on around you, politically, government, whatever may be happening. And you just say with the psalmist in Psalm 146, 
praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. That is what James is after. This is what God is after in you, in your heart, in your thoughts, in your life. So don't be afraid of enjoying God. Go and enjoy God more. And enjoy Him gladly. His last exhortation here that we see could well be put under the same category as the first one. And what category was that? In verse 13, the category of suffering. But James, in God's plan and under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he wanted to give, go into greater detail here of this particular exhortation. So if you're thinking here, well, this is kind of getting logistical, and I don't want to just get like down in the details of things. I just want to kind of have my heart like pressed upward rather than what, what do we say before, that your understanding, your thoughts would be affected. You know, and that's why I love the Puritans. They always, always would say, before your affections, your emotions would be stirred. What has to come before that? Understanding. And from understanding, then moves your heart and changes your life for His glory. And so, don't look at this and say, well, this is getting down to details here. We'll say, I need to hear these details and we need to talk about them. And so third, third exhortation. He gives an exhortation for the sick. An exhortation for the sick. So different from the previous two. He has some specific instructions for us here. Now, we're only going to look at a few of them today. So if you're wondering, like, well, why did he end in verse 15? Why didn't he read the rest of verse 15? Well, we're going to pick all that back up next time, Lord willing. But as you read his question here, is anyone among you sick? You know, I think if, if we were asked that question today, you know, I think we'd probably say, you know, well, why don't you go see a doctor, you know? I mean, have you called the doctor yet? Are you, you're sick? I mean, what, why haven't you went to the doctor? Go to, you need to go, go to the ER. I mean, come on, why are you sitting there? Get out of bed. I'll take you to the ER. Come on, you know? Do something would, would probably be, you know, our answer to his question here. And I'm not saying that's bad advice. Maybe you do need to go to the doctor, you know? Maybe you're seeing something in your life and you need to go and and see what's going on there. But the person here that James is talking about isn't really at that point here. Now, what do I mean? Well, this person isn't, they're not only in, they're not just in need of a doctor. They're in need of something more. They're in need of divine intervention here. As in they are in bad shape. Like they are on hospice kind of thing. Like they may not make it. 
And so they're not doing well here at all. So how do we know that? Well, we know that in view of James's answer when he tells them to go and to call for your elders. Now, he tells them this because they can't go themselves. They need the elders to come to them with the hope that the Lord would raise them up. Like, so, so they are likely here bedridden, and they're not going anywhere. So in other words, this isn't simply like a bad case of the sniffles here. You know? This is not what this person is experiencing. I'm not saying you can't tell me, you know, your pastor, if you're struggling with sickness in some way. But he's not just talking about the sniffles or something minor. This is serious sickness here. This is, this is akin to like stage four cancer. I don't know if we're going to make it. Now before we go on with what James is saying here, and see some of these other things that he says for the sick. Let's take a small detour. Because we need to see something. Something that I don't think you would see or even think about. Unless I point it out to you. Or maybe you would. But if, if not, still. So we need to see or to note an assumption here. That James is making. Now what assumption am I talking about? Well, the assumption, surprise, of elders. Elders. And not just singular, one elder, elder, but plural, elders. Not one, but many. So in other words, elders were a given within the church. I mean, James does not have to explain this or make a case for elders in the Jerusalem church. And why does he not have to do that? Because it was understood. It was the norm. That was what was going on. And this is also part of the reason we don't see an extended argument for elders elsewhere in Scripture. These were the spiritual leaders of the church. Now, if you just look over in 1 Peter, it's right next door. You have to go very far, but First Peter 5, we see this as well. Peter writes there, verse 1, So I exhort the elders among you, assumed, as a fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker of the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Now that word shepherd is where we get the word pastor. There's like two places in the Bible, maybe a surprise to you, where the word pastor is given. And this is one of them. And then he goes on, exercising oversight. And there, we'll think of other passages like 1 Timothy 3, overseer. Not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, for not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And so we actually see all the various terms right there in 1 Peter 5. Or we might look at Paul even as well and how he directed Titus to appoint 
elders in every town. And what does that mean? It wasn't meaning that he was going like every town, pointing one elder here and there. He was pointing elders in every church. And so he wrote there in Titus 1.5, this is why I left you in Crete, so you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you, Titus. So in seeing all that, though, you're probably already asking, because I didn't really answer it for you, but we're right to ask, who are these men? Well, these aren't just old people. <laughs> you know, that's not what this is talking about. These aren't old men. They're pastors. They're pastors. As I was alluding to before, the overseers, elders, pastors are synonymous. So James is talking about calling the pastors. So you could well word this, if we're going to use common parlance today. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the pastors of the church. Now this isn't the point of this passage. But just see this. As you're reading this, we might just skip over it. But I think we need to see it. More than one pastor was the biblical norm. This isn't the main point, but see that James doesn't need to make a point about this at all. And that's noteworthy. It's assumed. So if that's not the main point, then what is the main point here? Like I said, detour. Let's come back to the rest of what he says. The main point, it's not about the elders. It's not even about prayer. And it's not about oil. It's about God and about the power of God. Anointing this sick brother or sister with oil, it's not kind of this magic thing that's going on here, nor is it akin to giving some, someone a Tylenol and like, I hope you feel better soon. It was a way of setting someone apart. And so in the Old Testament, anointing someone with oil would often set them apart. And we see this with particular people in the Old Testament. So, for instance, the priests and the kings were anointed with oil to signify God's special presence upon them. And so what does that mean here? So, in essence, by anointing them with oil, it's saying, and we're saying, or I'm saying, if I'm praying over you, Lord, pay special notice to this one here. We ask that you might graciously, in your great power, heal them. That's what we're doing. So it's not about oil. The power isn't in all of these people or things, it's in God. This is about seeking after God. So don't have your eyes here primarily on the pastors or the oil or even prayer. It is God we're after. And so you see again 
the God-centered nature of all this. Lord, we need you. Every hour. And so practically, Haven, we need to do this. (laughs) That's the application. Bring your serious sicknesses before your pastor or pastors. And as we see here, in the prayer of faith, will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. Now, in any other day, maybe we could just let that stand. (laughs) But to be clear here, what he is saying is not an endorsement of the health and wealth gospel. Those teachings are just lies, falsities, and they are very, very far from what Scripture says. This is saying, yes, God heals. I mean, that is why we do this, right? (laughs) It's not saying do it and just don't expect anything, right? I mean, we do this because we do know God heals. We believe that. Yet even so, we leave it at that. We leave it in the Lord's hands. As James said in James 4.15, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. God can heal. But this isn't guaranteeing that every time we do this, someone will be healed. But know this, that the Lord will raise them up. Either in healing or in glory. Even when he does graciously heal someone, something you and I all need to see and know and realize is that too is only temporary. We're all still dying, right? Our bodies are still decaying. We're all still heading to the grave. So what are we to say to all that? To what James is saying here. We'll see where James is pointing you and me and all of us. He's pointing us to God. God is our hope. We need him. So is he your hope this morning? Not in theory. I'm talking to everyone here. Not just believers or unbelievers. I'm talking to everybody. Not in theory. Not in mere words. But in truth, is he your hope? Does your life, your heart and affections, your thoughts, do they belong to him? You see, Jesus, he came as the answer to our sin. 
He came as the answer to our separation from God. He came as the answer to our suffering. He came as the answer to the curse of death. He came for you and for me, for the world. And so if you're here and you don't know Christ this morning, see that he came for you. He came to take on all your sin, your guilt, your shame, and where that gulf stands between you and God, he came to gulf the gap that you would know God forever. And you would be his dear child forever. That through his death on the cross, he paid for your crimes against God, your sins that every last one of them would be upon him. He would bear the wrath of God in your place. That by looking to Christ by faith, he'll save you. So your injunction today would be repent and believe in Christ. That's where hope is found. So may you and may all of us, believer and unbeliever alike, set our hope fully upon him this morning with this new year. As David said in Psalm 39, and now, Lord, for what do I wait? My hope is in you. So may your hope be in him this new year. As the psalmist in Psalm 63, may you earnestly seek him. As you face ups, as you face downs, as you face joys, as you face sadness, as see what God is calling you to do. Turn to God in suffering, in gladness, in sickness, and in all things. Let's pray. Father, we come before your word and we are doing what your word calls us to do. We're praying. And so may each of us pray right now in our seats. May we recognize that the Lord God Almighty, he knows us. And so may you help us, Father, to respond accordingly. May we seek your face. May we, if we are suffering, you know our sufferings. You know the troubles that we have, whatever aspect of trouble we may be experiencing, whatever aspect of suffering we may be going through, you know those. And if only we would see that for those who love God, you're working all things together for good for those who love you and are called according to your purpose. You're at work there to sanctify and conform us into the image of Christ. So may we pray May we praise you. May we take all our needs to you. And so help us, Lord, today. In Jesus' name, amen.